Well, good morning and welcome to awe, authentic worship experiences. Whether you know it or not, that is what the depths of your being cries out for. We try to fulfill it in so many different ways through another purchase or a different relationship or this or that, and none of that ever seems to satisfy or fulfill us. And yet what we're really looking for all the while is awe, an authentic worship experience with the God of the universe. Good morning, my name is Bill Walker. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. And whether you know it or not, you have just walked into our auditorium. Uh, boo, yeah, I know, bad jokes. But yes, you've walked into a space that we have dedicated over these last number of weeks, and again next week, to this, this pursuit of God, to apprehend God. We can never comprehend God, but we can apprehend God. And the beautiful part of this is that God wants us to want him. He desires us to desire him. He longs for us to long for him. God wants us to experience him, and those experiences of him are what authentic worship experiences are. And we've been kind of talking about this over the last couple of weeks. And as we seek God, God has made it clear that he will choose to reveal himself, to manifest himself, to give us the experience of himself on his terms. You can't get God on your own terms. You can't demand that he show himself to you. You can't shake your fist at God and say, if you're really real, strike me with lightning. God doesn't play those games. What God says is this, if you want to know me, you must come to me like a little child. You have to come to me with childlike faith. Those who come to me with this kind of trust, with this simple kind of expectation in the heart and a sense of reverence for who he is, it is to those with childlike faith that I will reveal myself and such will be the kingdom of God. No one comes to God except like a little child. And as we come to God with this expectant eyes of faith, Daddy, Daddy, I know I saw you walk through this door. I think you're out there somewhere. With this sense of reverence and this, this expectation, Ooh, Daddy, Daddy, we are pursuing him. And oh, how he longs for that to happen. Again, uh, David said in Psalm 27 these beautiful words, God, you said, seek my face. So my heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do what? I'm coming. I'm coming. I want you. I want to experience you, God, in the depths of my being. I want to have a personal and profound sense of the living God in my life. And I hope you do too. I hope you do too. It would be a shame to go all your life and never truly be touched by God to never really have the transcendent leave his impression on your soul that you know in a personal and very profound way that it was God. And God will do that differently for you than he will for me. He will touch your life in a way that he knows how to touch you. And he will touch my life in a very special, personal way as well. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about pursuing God and seeing God revealing himself to us. Now, when we were together last week, we talked about one of the ways in which God manifests or reveals himself. And one of those ways is through this thing called general revelation. 
It is through the creation that God has chosen to manifest or reveal himself. Again, uh, David in Psalm 19 verse 1 said this, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. One of the ways that we can see God, one of the ways that we can understand God is through this thing called creation. Now, I'm curious. This was the message last week. And I hope as you left here, you went with a sense of expectation that God was going to paint you a sunset. That God was going to explode the sun in the morning and give you the gift of seeing his power. How many of you have noticed God more this week than, than, more, than usual uh, in the creation that is around us? Good, 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 good. I hope so. God wants to do these things for us. He wants to make himself real to us. I, I usually sit here in the morning uh, in the first service next to David Moore. David is a sweetheart. I love David. And David says to me as he got up to leave after the first service, he looked at me and he said, Pastor Bill, I got up extra early every day this week. And I wanted to see God bring the sun up. And he goes, every day I watched the sun rise and it left tears in my eyes. I said, David, you have a heart like King David. You are seeking him. You have a heart after God. And he's revealing himself to you. And so that is one of the ways that God has chosen to manifest himself. But I want you to notice what David says here. He says that the heavens declare the glory of who? This word God that, that is, is used by David here is actually the most generic term found in the Bible for the name God. It is simply the, the two little Hebrew letters L, E-L, L, and it is translated based upon its context in various ways. When it refers to the true God, it's, cap, it's used a capital G-O-D, but it's often translated elsewhere with a little g a little O and a little D to represent the gods of the nation. And yes, it's even translated G-O-D-S, little G-O-D-S. So this term L that is used by David here is the most generic term that you can find anywhere in the scriptures for the manifestation of a deity. And so what he is saying is this, creation's marvelous. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. You can see the beauty of God, the power of God, the intelligence of God, but you're never going to understand much more than that. You need something much more than creation to really understand this God. You need something much more profound than, than the rising and setting of a sun, more, more powerful than even the stars that come out at night. And God has given us something even more profound than all of creation. He's given us his word. If you want to know God, if you want to really experience God, if you want to know God at an ever-deepening level, there is no other way than ultimately through his word. I want you to notice what David goes on to say here in Psalm 19. He picks up after this initial statement on God's general revelation, and then he talks about God's special revelation. Notice what he goes on to say. He says this, the law of the Lord. He's referring to this. So pick it up. The law of the Lord is what? Yeah, it revives the soul. The testimonies of the Lord is what? Yeah, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are what? Yeah, and uh, it goes on to uh, rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord are? The enlight it enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is? What an interesting name for the word of God. 
the fear of God. Wow, what a great term. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even than fine gold, sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So what David has just done in verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 19 is to extol the beauty of the heavens, the power of the heavens, the beauty of God's creation. But he's basically said this, they're nothing. They're absolutely nothing in comparison to the beauty and the power and the majesty and the truth of the self-revealing God found through this thing called the Word of God. In fact, I like verse 10 here. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 10. He says this, More to be desired are the words of God, the Word of God, than even gold, than even much fine gold. In fact, they are sweeter than the honey, the drippings that come out of the honeycomb. Now, when we're talking about creation, when we're talking about this, manif this manifestation of God that is in the physical world, there are two very powerful treasured things in this world, one of which is what? One of which is gold. I I'm getting tired of seeing those TV advertisements all the time. You, too, need to have in your portfolio gold, because gold is the only thing that really matters. It's the only thing stable in an unstable world, right? Gold, gold, gold. We all like gold. It's very highly treasured in our world. And the other thing, it's sweetener of, of, of antiquity, is honey. So gold and honey are the two most valuable and treasured things in creation. And notice what he says. They're not that. They're absolutely nothing in comparison to the beauty of God's word. It is more desired, more desired than even um, gold or honey. So, David goes on to show us the importance of the Word of God in our experience of God. And he basically says this, they, it is so vital because ultimately what the Word of God shows us is this. It tells us really who God is. He's more than L, some generic God. It also goes on to tell us exactly what he is up to. And it also tells us what he wants from us. All of that is here in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. So, if God could speak to you today from his... That's right, the word of God is God's word to our hearts today. If you want to hear God's voice, you open the word. So do you want to hear from God? Do you want to hear from God? I hope so, because God wants to speak to you if you're willing to hear. And so this is what I want you to notice about the word of God. First of all, God wants you to know who I am. God says, I want you to know who I am. And according to Psalm 19, verses uh, 7 through 11, the repeated reference to the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. Six times in those few verses there in Psalm 19, verses 6, 7, and 8, six times in those few verses, we have this repeated mention of the name of the Lord. Now, up till now, David has only talked about this general L, this, this God that's out there. Uh, little g God in many cases, often little g s gods in many cases, just generic. But in the Word of God, God goes way beyond merely painting the stars in the sky and sunsets and sunrises for us. 
in a very real way, God almost peels back the creation and steps out to us in the word of God in a very profound way. And the way he does that is through his name. This term, the Lord, I am, actually was given to Moses as he was about to lead the children of Israel out of captivity. It says this in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. It says, and then Moses said to God, here we go, uh, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they were to ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, what? That's it. What God just gave to Moses was a very, very important thing. God gave to Moses what is referred to in the Bible as the covenant faithful name of God. He gave to him his name. And in giving to Moses his name, he basically gives to Moses a further revelation of who God really is. And God is the great I am. I am is the one who is sending you. This is who I am, the self-sustaining one, the one who is eternal and unchanging. I am the great I am, Moses. I want you to tell the children of Israel, this great truth. And so it is manifested. This name of God is manifested. Now, in the Hebrew, the name I am uh, is simply these letters. Uh, the uh, Hebrew language has no vowels. Uh, it only has consonants. And you read Hebrew from right to left. So it is the little uh, Hebrew letter yod, a letter he, a letter wow, and the letter hey, yod hey wow hey, yod hey wow hey, that is the name of God. That is the name of God. Something very special had been given here. Something very important God has now revealed about himself to Moses, and Moses gave it to the children of Israel, and God through his word has given to us. God has revealed his name. And in revealing his name, he has shown us a lot about who he is and what he can and wants to do in each one of our lives. So in English, um, it would look like this. Now, this has had various uh, ways of being pronounced. Um, in fact, I'm just going to give you something you can chase on the Internet some other time, not right now. But um, this, this name is called the Tet... Um, <laughs> Let me, let me get this straight. This is called the Tetragrammaton. The Tetragrammaton. Tetra meaning four. Grammaton meaning letters. Four letters. Tetna, tetna, tetragrammaton. And so if you were to plug that into Google, you would discover that there are two different ways that the name of God is actually pronounced. One way is the name Jehovah. How many of you are familiar with the name Jehovah? If you have a King James Bible or if you've heard of the Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah, they would say, well, that's the proper way to say the name of God. Uh, you will discover that there are this group of people called Masoretes, and you will discover that there are vowel pointings, and you will discover that uh, they have this word Adonai, and that you will discover many things as to how you come up with the pronunciation of the name of God. I'll let you pursue that. It is very likely that the name Jehovah is not correct. 
it is very likely the proper way of saying the name of God is Yahweh. Yahweh. I am that I am. And in giving us his name, God has taken us into his confidence. This is who I am. I'm giving it to you so that you can know me better. Think of it like this. My name. Many of you know me as Pastor Bill Walker. How many of you know me by that name? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, my mother, when she calls me on the phone, she doesn't call me Pastor Bill. She calls me William. William is my given name. It is the name that I got from my father's father, William. Um, Walker, William Walker is my given name. But I have a middle name. And my middle name has been jealously held close to the chest for many, many years. You see, growing up as a kid, if kids found out what my middle name was, they would mock me and make fun of me. So I don't use my middle name very much because it offends me when people make fun of my name because it's part of who I am. But I'm going to take you into confidence right now. I am going to give you my name. And in giving you my name, I'm going to end up telling you more about who I am. You see, my name is William. <laughs> Elva. <laughs> you're, a, you're a sweetheart. See why I don't tell people my name? William Alva Walker. That's my name. Now, the name Alva is actually my mother's father's name. So when my mother and father were going to have a boy, they said we're going to call him William after my father's father, uh, Alva after my mother's father. So my middle name is Alva. Thomas Alva Edison, you know, that kind of a thing. It's not spelled like that. It's spelled A-L-V-A-H. That's my middle name. And again, as I've told people over the course of time, people have laughed and carried on and had good fun. Uh, Alua, on and on, you know, we can pronounce it well. But what I've just done is I've given you a little piece of me. I've let you into my life. I've let you into my confidence. In a very real way, that's what God is doing when he gives us his name. He's allowing us to know something about him that's significant. By the way, uh, the name Alva is actually a biblical Hebrew name. Uh, it means... Your Highness or Exalted One. I just want you to know either one's fine by me. So you know, however you wish to address me, Your Highness, William, or Your Exalted One, William, that's cool. I'm good with that. But uh, So names are very powerful. Names are very important. Uh, names are who we are. And so God came along to Moses and he said, I want you to tell the people, that I am. I am. And you know, that name, I am, the Lord, as the English convention uh, translates it, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, that name. You'll discover that it's used nearly uh, 6,000 times in the Bible. It's used over and over again. But every once in a while, that precious personal name of God is paired up with another 
important truth. And people have had unique experiences with Yahweh. And I want to show you a few of those experiences because I believe the same experiences that the biblical characters have with their God is the same experiences he wants to lead us into so that we too can proclaim the beauty of his name. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, so we have this name, Yahweh. Um, you will discover that um, back in Genesis chapter 22, the name Yahweh is actually hyphenated or connected with another word, and it is the word Jirah. Jirah. That's actually a time in Abraham's life where he was told to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah, which by the way is modern-day Calvary. He was going to kill his son on the very spot where God would let his son be crucified. And so he rose his hand to drive the, the knife through his son's heart, and just as he rose it up, God said, no, no, Moses, don't kill the boy. What I'm going to do is there's a ram in the thicket. Go pull the ram out and bring it over and offer me the ram. And in that place, uh, as, as uh, Abraham had this experience of God, he called the place, the Lord shall Jirah provide. God wants to be in your experience the God who provides for you. He wants to come alongside you in your need, in your debt, in your loneliness, in your inability, and he wants to show you that's who I am. I am provider. That's what I do. And I want you to have that experience of me, too. And so we have that hyphenated name of Yahweh. There's another uh, amazing episode that comes a little bit further on in the Scripture in Exodus chapter 15. It is Yahweh Rapha. Rapha means to heal. And this is a time where the children of Israel had gathered at a, a place called the bitter waters of Marah. And they were going to drink of the water, but the water was undrinkable. And so they cried out to God, and God said, get a tree and toss the tree into the waters, and the waters were then made sweet. So God was proving to them in this moment that I am the God who can heal the bitter things of your life, and I want to make them sweet again. This is what the name means, Yahweh Rapha. I am the Lord who heals you. I am the one who takes your bitterness and turns it to sweetness all over again. And he will often do it by taking a tree where the Son of God was crucified and bringing that into the middle of the situation, take what is bitter and make it beautiful in your life and in your experience. God wants us to have these moments. He wants us to experience him on a very real heart level. And so the Bible goes on to give us more of these hyphenated names. And I'll just mention them. Uh, I just want to say that in the back of the room, as you walk out in front of that black curtain, there is a, a study that is there for you. And it is on the, the, uh, the compound names of Jehovah, as it is on here, or Yahweh. And uh, there are six of them. So I want you to feel free to grab that on your way out so that you can interact with this and understand at a higher level who God desires to be in your life. But some more places where this happens is in Exodus 17. Nisi means the Lord is your banner or the one who protects or fights for you. Uh, he is Yahweh Shalom, which is the word for peace. He wants to be the God of peace in your world. If you are anxious or upset or if the relationships are fractured, I want to be the God who brings peace into your world. Another one is, I love this, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. Why? Because he is Yahweh Ra'oi, the shepherd. 
He watches over us. He cares for us. He meets our needs. Even though we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, he's right there with us all along the way, proving to be Yahweh. I am always with you. And then again, we have this beautiful term in Jeremiah 23. It is Yahweh Tzikenu, which is righteousness. I am your righteousness. I long to be your righteousness. So what I'm trying to say is this. Creation is beautiful. Creation is wonderful. The sunsets and the sunrises and the beauty and, and, the, and the detail and all of that is breathtaking. But they all do not begin to hold a candle to the revealed person of God in the word of God. And it's as we interact with the scriptures that the truth of God's word becomes real in our experience and God touches us in a very deep personal way that's unique that we will never be able to deny because of who he is and what he wants to do in each one of our lives. So as you chase this idea of Yahweh, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, through the scriptures, you're going to discover that not only is Yahweh found in the Older Testament in these remarkable ways, but as you run into the Newer Testament, you're going to discover that Yahweh is none other than Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. And they took up stones to stone him because they knew exactly what he was saying. He was making himself out to be the living God. So who is the Lord? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. It says this in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through him uh, made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So as you chase God all throughout the Older Testament, and you see how he worked in different people's lives, different testimonies will come to you and that maybe you can have as well. When you get to the Newer Testament, you discover that Jesus is the full final revelation of who God is and what God is like and how he wants to work in each one of our lives. So as you chase him through the scriptures, he will give you these very special, special opportunities. And I hope that you will avail yourself of some of them. Again, back there on the, by the curtain, not only have I put uh, the six compound names of God and made them available to you, uh, but also uh, I want you to know back there are 46 days of walking with Jesus through the Gospels, a chronological walk through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so you can actually walk with this one who is the full final revelation of the Father and see exactly what he wants to do in and through your life. My word is so profound. My word is so powerful, the Lord tells us. When you walked in this morning, We are in a word-saturated environment right now because on every chair was placed a portion of the living word of God. And we have asked the Lord in preparation for today to take these randomly placed verses that have been placed on these seats and that God would providentially place the right butt in the right chair for you to have a, a word from the Lord to your life. I don't know what you got. But this morning, I want you to understand this is the word of God. And God wants to speak to you. I don't know what he wants to say to you. It's your verse. 
let it, let it speak to your life what you need to hear. Uh, this is what I got. <laughs> I wish I could have found another one, but this one's okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're scanning the environment looking for a different verse. I know, I know. Some of us don't like what we get. But I'll take it as from the Lord that this is what you're meant to have and this is what I'm meant to have. And so this is what it says, 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. It's funny how I get that one after we just finished doing this series called Loving Generously. The Lord has a wonderful sense of humor. I'm excited to hear what God's going to say to you. So as you pick up that verse, take it as from the Lord. May he use this in your life to challenge you to know him on a deeper, deeper level. And so God invites us to pursue him. And so like little children with our face meshed up against the glass, you said, seek my face? My heart says to you, your face what? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, your face, Yahweh, do I seek? I want you. I want you. Let me give you one help that will help you to experience God, I believe, in a very profound way in, in, in your life. Maybe you've been reading the scriptures, maybe you've been to coming to church, but nothing seems to be connecting, nothing ever seems to really be working for you. Let me give you one tidbit that if you will do, you will experience God. Okay? This is not magic. It's not hocus-pocus. These are words from Jesus. Here they are. Whoever has my commandments, my word, and keeps them, obeys them, he it is who loves me, and I will love him. And what's the word? Do you believe Jesus? You have something in your hands. It's a little piece of his word. I don't know what it says to you, but if you will seek to do it, maybe it's the study on the compound names of Yahweh. Maybe it's the 46-day walk through the Gospels. If you will come to them with an heart attitude of being willing to obey whatever God says to you, he'll speak. Maybe that's daunting for some of you. I don't want to hear the voice of God. I do. I do. And if you want it, it's yours to be had because he makes himself available to you if you will come with childlike faith, uh, with a heart of expectation, a heart of obedience, he will reveal himself to you. So, as we talk about Psalm 19, know who I am. I am the Lord, Yahweh. And in your experience, I want to prove that I am everything you need that I am the creator of the universe, that I am able to sustain you and meet your needs and shepherd you through hard times and to give you peace and to give you my righteousness through my son. I will do these things if you're willing. If you're willing. So not only know who I am, but also I want you to know what I am doing. What am I doing? Here we go. Psalm 19. I want you to notice what God is doing. I'm going to read the white text, you read the yellow. Deal? Thank you. Awesome. Here we go. The law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. 
the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure, altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is... So what is God up to? What is God seeking to do in our lives? What is he seeking to do in and through his word? Very simply, know what I am doing. I am transforming your life. This is what I want to do. I want to make your life radically different. I want to enlighten your eyes. I want to, I want to change your heart. I want to explode your mind. I want to take away your breath. This is who I am. But let me just say this, if you're pursuing peace or if you're pursuing joy or if you're pursuing enlightenment or whatever you're pursuing, you won't get them. These are byproducts of pursuing God. It's in the pursuit of who God is to know him, to love him, and to serve him. It is in knowing God that these things are byproducts that he gives to us, which is a transformation of our lives. And so this is what I am doing. I am transforming lives. And that is God's stated purpose in the scriptures, particularly for those who are his children. For those whom he, God, foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the very image of his son. We use this term here, to live in love like Jesus all the time. Why? Because it's God's stated purpose in the lives of his people to make us like Jesus. Now, we'll fully, never fully realize that this side of heaven, but we figured we would just put it up there. That's our goal is to achieve what God wants to achieve in our lives, which is to become like his son. Whew. The incredible thing is, the incredible thing is, the more you pursue God in the scriptures, the more you get to know him in and through his word, the more you experience him as the great I am in various and sundry ways, the more you see who Jesus is and what he came and wants to do, the more you look at the word of God, the more you begin to understand that he's not just interested in changing our lives. He is. But God's stated purpose in the word of God is to change everything and to ultimately make it all glorify him. Consider this. I think it says it very well. Let me tell you a story. It's no ordinary tale. No, it's the ordinary from which every other story hails. It's the story of God. It's the story of history, and I'm not the author, no. The author is a glorious mystery. See, long before he would put his pen to the paper, long before there was time, or before there was matter, he was there all alone. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, everlasting in existence. Completely satisfied, needing absolutely nothing. He was happy in himself and his joy was overflowing. The Son in the arms of his holy, righteous Father, the Spirit overshadowing, all glorifying one another. So why would this God even bother to create? The fountain of all happiness, can you improve upon this state? Well, the joy within himself welling up at such capacity was so full it must be shared with a glorious society. So the mighty author, quill in hand, to share his infinite mind, his love, his joy, sat down to write his once upon a time. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made all things to reflect his beauty and his worth. Mountains, rivers, oceans, trees, all gladly testifying. Endless stars and galaxies declare his glory shining. He made it all and it was good. And to culminate his work, he fashioned man and breathed to life his special ball of dirt. Man came to life with blinking eyes and was welcomed by God's face. They walked with him every day and night. There was peace and no such thing as shame. God said, be fruitful, fill the earth, and eat from any tree, except for this one, because if you do, you'll surely fall from me. Now, why do this and give this choice? Because he is writing a story, and he's about to show the whole world the fullness of his glory. Conflict enters early on in the script with a snake in the garden doing what he does best, running his lip. Flashback to when this evil was created. He was an angel of heaven who fell when his head got inflated. Banished from God and from his endless mercy, he came down to earth to tempt us with the unworthy. So there in the garden on an ordinary day, he came to the woman and said, Did God really say that you should not eat from every tree in the garden? He must not want your happiness or you'd have total freedom. So pridefully they listened, sinfully they took, and scorned their creator as they ate forbidden fruit. Injustice, my friends, this is injustice. That God should be seen and then treated as a nothing. That man should completely forfeit his joy and dig for fleeting pleasures in the gutters of this world. Fallen now is all mankind and sure to face his judgment. A world of pain, of toil and strain and hell forever after. But God would make a promise to preserve himself a people. And through the brokenness of man, oh, could there shine a hero? The plot line continues, some character development, all supporting actors, all fantastic as embellishment. Noah found favor in God's holy sight, and when God sent the floods, he mercifully preserved his life. We come to Abraham, and God made him a covenant. He said, I will bless you, make your offspring abundant. To Isaac and to Jacob, God would come and do the same, and though many dangers came to threaten his perfect plan, the story would go on with the author's full control, and he would lead his people everywhere that they should go. Flash forward now 400 years, in Egypt there's a Pharaoh who doesn't like God's people growing numerous in freedom. He made them slaves, but God came down and chose his servant Moses, a burning bush, a call to go. His presence was his promise. Moses, tell that Pharaoh now to let my people go so they can freely worship me in the place that I will show. Plagues numerous, God will prove that he is the I am, that Pharaoh's rule is like a palm in his glorious hand. The waters part, the millions leave to follow their great savior. He guided them, provided for them, though they were so ungrateful. At Sinai, God gave the law so perfect and so pure. His people soon discovered, though, they could not obey these rules. They tried, they failed, they tried, they failed, compelled to live in sin. They'd bow to worship idols and they'd bow to God again. They said to God, give us a king and that will make things better. God, their rightful king, assured them this would be a fetter. They insisted, God relented, gave to them their kings. Some were good, led them to him, some brought idolatry. Then came the prophets, turn back to God. Sometimes the people listened, but mostly they just gave a nod because they all wanted to be him. God will not wink at your sin, the prophets would all say. The people rose to eat and drink, they left to go and play. God finally seemed to have enough and brought a blaring quiet. The prophets ceased, the people waited 400 years of silence. Enter our protagonist, mostly unannounced. The plot is quickly rising now. Who is this guy? Nobody really knows. He's meek, he's humble, unordinary hero. But 
The craziest thing about this character is, well, unlike the other characters, this is the author himself. His name was Jesus. He was born of a virgin. Fully God, he was perfect. Fully man, he was learning. Different from all the others, but tempted just the same in every single way we are, yet without a single sin. He made the lame to jump and he caused the blind to see. And unlike the religious leaders, he had some real authority because he came from on high and he came to redeem, not to be served, but to serve his haters and enemies. He loved, he gave, showed us the heart of the author, claimed no glory for himself because he came from his father and we hated him for it because we wanted to be God. Despised and rejected, we esteemed him not. Conflict escalating now. It starts with a betrayal. Judas whores his eternal Lord for 30 pieces of silver. A final meal of prayer and then they head into the garden where Jesus sweat with drops of blood preparing for our pardon. The soldiers took the Lord away and led him to a trial. Are you the son of God? They say I am. There's no denying. Except of course for his disciples who left their Lord in fear. Jesus looked up to the sky. He was all alone for him. They led him to the praetorium and then they began to beat him. Who hit you? They would shout and say, oh father, please forgive him. They made his back a bloody mess. They whipped him till he lost his breath. They threw the cross upon his wounds, the weight of sin, 300 pounds. The great eternal Lord of all, the author of all things, now like a lamb to the slaughter. Would this be his defeat? They nailed him to the rugged cross. They shouted out, where is your God? He said, have you forsaken me? He takes a breath, his final three. It is finished. The Savior's cry. And then he bowed his head. The author of life, the Lord of all, the Son of God, is dead. They laid his body in a tomb. Then everything was quiet as God's people find themselves again in everlasting silence. Two days pass. On the second morning after Jesus died, Mary went to the tomb to take a look inside. And when she arrived, she was met by an angel. She fell to the ground, but he said, there's no danger. This Jesus, Jesus, is he the one you seek? Mary, he is not here. He is risen indeed. Climax is true. Every good story has one. That part where you feel a slight shift of momentum. Mary sprints to go tell the other disciples, the Lord, he's alive. He's alive like he promised. Peter and John go to see for themselves, but there's nothing there. Perhaps he truly lives. Then Jesus' words came flashing to mind. They will kill the Son of Man, but after three days, he will rise. Momentum is surely building now. The enemy is limping. Jesus finds the 12, and then he gives to them the mission. All authority is mine, all in heaven and on earth. Go and tell them I'm alive. Go and tell the whole wide world, and don't get slack. I'm coming back. Acts now, the church is born, the Holy Spirit given. The news of Jesus, like the most contagious sickness spreading. Thousands saved, a mighty wind is blowing through the region. The promise God gave to Abraham, we're finally starting to see it. Repentance and forgiveness preached all in the name of Jesus. Sinners and saints alike proclaim our God has come to save us. The Gentiles hear the story and the news is blowing up. The plan is working, gospel spreading from Asia to Africa. Martyrs laying down their lives because they know this story is true. It's a story like no other. It's a movement you cannot undo. Constantine tried to slow it down and turn it into steeples, but an angry monk from Germany wrote some holy gospel thesis. It spread like fire and then it came to America by sail and here we are the 21st century because the gospel cannot fail it's the greatest story that's ever been told by the greatest author the world has ever known but there is some still left to go yes there is some still left to go see go was the command 
to every tribe and nation to carry this great story to this dying generation because when this gospel finally spreads across the whole of earth, we're gonna hear a trumpet sound and Jesus will return. Heaven will be opened and a white horse shall appear and the one who sits upon it, all his enemies shall fear. His eyes will be like fire and his purpose will be glory. Justice for all evil, life for all who love this story. He'll come to judge the quick, the dead, and all who trod this world. Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Death and Hades he will throw into the lake of fire, and Satan too, that serpent foe, that coward, that old liar. The church will rise, surround the throne, and clothed in glory his. With every tribe and tongue, we will worship him, singing, worthy, worthy is the lamb, the lamb who has been slain. Blessing and honor, glory and power forever to his name, and for ages and ages we will sing the praises of our God and King. It's the greatest story that's ever been told by the greatest author the world has ever known. Yeah, the bad guys lose, the good guys win. Jesus is Lord of all the My friends, that's the Word of God. Every bit of what he just shared with us is the truth of who God is and what he is doing in and through this world. If you really get a grasp of who he is and what he is doing, the result in your life will be he will blow your mind. It is a perceptual beholding of God's vastness and glory that radically reconfigures your mental model of this world. Do you believe this? He's coming. He wants to radically transform everything, but he's left us with a mission to go. To go, to go. Let one, no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when he returns, if they don't know him, he will be forever separated from Christ. Go, go, go. Keep going. So as we come to the end of this this morning, I want you to know that we have the scriptures so that God, we can know that he is the great I am, that he is the Lord. He, so that we can know what he is doing. He is transforming our lives and he wants to transform the entire world. But lastly, I want you to know what I am seeking for you, says the Lord. And this is what I long for. I want you to worship me. I want you you to worship me. David concludes Psalm 19 with these words. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Who? Capital O-L-R-D. The, the Yahweh. My rock. My redeemer. That was his experience with the Lord. Know what I am seeking from you, says the Lord. I want you. I want your voluntary obedience. I want you to give me your heart and your passion. I want you to give me your mind so I can reshape your thoughts and explode your worldview. I want your soul so I can refashion it after my son's life. I want the strength of your life to serve me. I want you. I want you. All of you. That is what God wants us to know from his special revelation, the living and active word of God. Every other book you read, this book reads you. What is God saying to you today? 
I'm going to pray for us. Please bow your heads with me. As we step into the throne room of heaven where the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Thank you, O God, for allowing us to step onto holy ground. Thank you for allowing us to have entrance into your word and to see who you are. You are the Lord, maker of heaven and earth, but you are also Yahweh. I am your provider. I am your banner. I want to protect you. I want to fight for you. I want to give you peace. I want to heal you. I want to shepherd you. Thank you, O God. I ask that you would give to every single one of us in this room today, O God, a personal and a profound touch on the depths of our soul as we pursue you in your word. I pray that when we get up and leave this space and we walk by those papers about the compound names of God and this 46 day of walking with Jesus through the Gospels, that we won't just let it go by. That we will grab them up and we will pursue you. That we will take this verse of Scripture that was in our seat when we sat down and that we would understand you want to speak to us. But so often, oh God, our hearts are cold and we are so distant. Wake us up. Wake us up. You're not boring. But we treat you that way. Oh, God, help us. Help us to seek your face. And may each one of us here say, Your face, O oh Lord, I seek. In Jesus' name.